John Newton said a lot in his song, Amazing Grace, even in that line you just heard. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. John uh, Newton was born in 1725 and um, was uh, the son of a, a very lovely Christian woman. He loved her deeply, um, loved her devotion to uh, the faith and memorizing the Bible. But at the age of seven, his mother died, and Newton struggled. Uh, he became, um, he went off to a boarding school for a little while, and after that became a seafaring man, and like most 18th century sailors, his life was a little rough. He was forced to serve in the British Navy for a while, but deserted. They caught him after a couple of days, flogged him, and he was demoted. He uh, found himself often making up disrespectful songs about his captain. He got demoted again. He drowned himself in drink. He prided himself in his creative use of profanity. He also would deride and make fun of Christians all, all the time. Eventually, even, as he captained his own ship, he engaged in slave trading. Why did God keep him safe through many dangerous toils and snares? Why not smash that drunk, pagan slave trader against the rocks. Why keep him safe? You know, I've, I've often heard people ask a very good question. Why do bad things happen to good people? We all have to struggle with the answer to that question. But I think a more disturbing question is actually the opposite. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why does an atheistic online retailer named Jeff Bezos have a net worth of $155 billion and owns enough real estate to fit within his holdings, Central Park in New York City, the Pentagon, Walt Disney World, and all the land in the U.S. used to grow oranges, plus enough space you know, left over to uh, own a mansion or seven. Why? Why does a narcissistic MMA fighter named Conor McGregor make $6.2 million for every minute he is in the ring? That's a million dollars every nine seconds. Why? Average Illinois starting teacher's wage is $40,000 per year. Million dollars, million dollars every nine seconds. How can real housewives be famous? How do the Kardashian sisters have 1.6 billion followers on Instagram? Must be their spotless morality. And furthermore, why didn't Adam and Eve die when they ate the fruit? Why didn't I die the first time I told a lie? After all, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And in 2 Peter 2, it says God didn't spare the angels when they sinned. God did not spare those at the time of the flood. Why spare us? 
You know, this thing called God's grace is a sea voyage through the mist. We began a series last week called Life at Sea, where we're talking about how grace is, is hazy. It's hard to pin down, hard to define. And yet there is some sense in which every single one of us, every person you've ever known, good and bad, have been led to the boat itself, that God somehow walks us up the, the boat ramp, welcoming us all with a hearty all aboard. Theologians call that common grace. Common grace. Wayne Grudem, for instance, defines it as the grace of God by which uh, God gives innumerable blessings to people that are not a part of his salvation. Common grace. Newton wrote it this way in his song, "'Tis grace that brought me safe thus far." And you see this in all kinds of realms of life. Uh, there's this kind of common grace in what I call the, the physical realm of life. You know, why do unchristian farmers get good crops? Why do they enjoy beautiful gardens? Why do they have good health? Why does my unchristian friend eat eggs and bacon and hash browns for breakfast every single morning and he's healthy as a horse, but my believing father eats rice cakes and has cholesterol problems? Why do the worst drivers drive the best cars? How do the Chicago Cubs succeed? These are the questions I have, you know? They're tough. All I know is that Jesus said, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Also, we know Jesus healed those brought to him without discrimination. You know, for instance, in Luke 4, it says, uh, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one, the good and the bad, he healed them. Common grace. I was in the presence of common grace uh, several years ago now. Uh, My grandmother uh, had gotten ill, and there was a tumor that they needed to remove. And so I was there at the hospital with her before they, they took her back for the surgery. And uh, we, we prayed together, obviously, and uh, we prayed for her, for her healing and for the tumor to be removed and all these things. And, and the nurse came in and started uh, asking her some questions, you know, personal questions, your name, your birth date, all those things, family history. And then she began to ask about uh, personal habits, do you smoke? Yes, my grandmother said. How much do you smoke? About three quarters of a pack of cigarettes a day. How long have you smoked? She smirked. About 60 years. 60 years? They removed the tumor and it was benign. My grandmother lived to be 96 years old. That's grace. And sometimes I wonder why. Why that kind of physical grace in the lives of people? And all I hear is John Newton say, "'Tis grace that brought me safe thus far." It's not very satisfying. Why do bad people discover brilliant science, amazing technology? Why, why are there jerks that are intellectually creative? They're wonderful authors and musicians and athletes and, and, mus- and uh, philosophers. If, if Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and if there's no truth in him, as John 8 says, then shouldn't those under his authority also be evil and ignorant? I mean, why are there some 
people who are not following Jesus who are amazing at astronomy and geometry and philosophy and chemistry and all the things. All I know is what Paul writes in Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. That is, they hold it back. They restrain the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We suppress the truth by our wickedness. People have access, though, to truth, even if we don't acknowledge it. Now, Satan distorts that truth. He lies to us. He he, uh, deceives us. But this passage indicates God has made the truth about Himself clearly seen. There's an understanding of God in all of our hearts, even as Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that God has set eternity in the human heart. We all want to live forever. I want to know why. Why this intellectual grace? Why this intellectual abilities for people in the world who don't deserve it? All I hear is Newton. His grace that brought me safe thus far. Does that answer the question for you? Because it's not very satisfying for me. And as if that uh, weren't all enough, I also see common grace in the the spiritual realm, you know? Have you ever known someone who is a good moral person, but they were not a follower of Jesus? Have you known people like that? Worked hard, loved their family, just good, solid people. They just didn't have anything to do with church or Jesus or or God. And, And I wonder, how can that be? How can people who don't follow Jesus have good marriages? Why aren't they cheating on each other all the time? Why don't they steal from the company? Why don't they exploit the poor, prey on people's weaknesses? Or or why does God answer the prayers of people who don't even believe in Him? People of Nineveh, when Jonah preached to them, they prayed and God saved them. Have you ever known somebody who didn't even believe in God but got in a tight jam and said, God, if you get me out of this jam, then I'll do such and such. And God often does. Why does He do that? He's under no obligation, and yet he often does. Why? All we know is that most people do not fall to the depths of the sin to which they otherwise would have gone, that God somehow includes, God somehow with his gracious, uh, graciousness puts restraints on people's conducts. One of those restraints is what Paul will allude to in Romans 2. He said, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. Unbelievers in Jesus don't do as much evil as they otherwise would have done, but they have this inward sense of right and wrong, this inner voice, this conscience Paul talks about, So you get people who don't follow Jesus who still respect the sanctity of life and marriage and family and who love people and protect human life and and prohibit theft and stealing and all kinds of things. Like Ryan Rasso. Ten years ago, Ryan was living on the streets of San Francisco. His life had hit rock bottom. He'd been arrested over 12 times for armed robbery and grand theft and any number of things, but he was on the streets in San Francisco 
and he saw a police officer trying to arrest a suspect, and the suspect got the upper hand. They began to wrestle. The suspect began choking this female police officer on the ground. Everybody was watching, just kind of at a distance, and Ryan thought he needed to do something. So when the suspect started to go for the gun, Ryan tackled the suspect, knocked him down. The police officer regained her footing and was able to apprehend the suspect. Why did Ryan do that? A hardened criminal helping the police. This homeless convict becoming a hero. All I can hear is Newton humming away. Tis grace, tis grace that brought me safe thus far. Why all this grace? And I think for, for me, the answer comes in Acts chapter 14. There's a story there. Paul and Barnabas are out doing missionary work, and it says in, um, in Lystra, there uh, sat a man who was lame, who was handicapped. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed, and he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw that Paul had what he had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he, uh, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. They wanted to sacrifice to these missionaries because they thought they were gods. And I wonder what was going through their mind, you know? Paul and Barnabas, were they, were they flattered? I mean, they're calling them gods after all. Were they angry? Didn't you listen to my sermon at all? <laughs> what was going through their minds? I, I wonder... I wonder if Psalm 145 was in the back of their minds. It says, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Paul may have seen these confused people. He may have even had the thought, God, why are you going to be compassionate to these people? They don't deserve it. But what he said was, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. Look at this. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Why all these physical blessings, Paul? Why rain and sunshine and good crops and good health? Why all these intellectual blessings, Paul? Why, why uh, uh, creativity and intelligence and musical talent and athleticism? Why, why spiritual guidance? Why conscience and, and divine care? Why all this grace to all these people who don't deserve it? Because God is kind. That's why. Acts 14, he has shown kindness. So what difference does that make for us? You see, our response to common grace is to be kind to all. The term found here in Acts 14, the word for kindness is a Greek word, uh, agatho ergeo. It just simply means to do good. It's, 
This specific term is only used a couple of times in the whole New Testament, right here in Acts 14, where it describes God doing good for people who didn't deserve it. He shows blessing and kindness and grace to them. The other usage is found in 1 Timothy 6, where Paul is encouraging his protege, Timothy, to command them, the church, to do good. There's the word. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share, to do good. Now, this is a good reminder for us, I think, as followers of Jesus, because I'm afraid that we sometimes suffer the temptation to be antagonistic towards people who don't believe what we believe, and our righteousness can become rage, and our justice can become scorn. After all, I mean, many people treat us as enemies. Why shouldn't we hunker down and treat them as enemies too? So we create a wall of separation. We sometimes create categories, you know, between Sacred and secular, you know, we say, oh, do you listen to secular music or or Christian music? Oh, I see you're watching a secular TV show. Uh But common grace compels us to see that not everything done in this world, not everything done by people who don't believe in Jesus is totally evil all the time. No, no, no. Everyone was made in the image of God. And so His kindness pleads with us to be on the lookout for His grace even in the least expected places. It moves us to exercise kindness instead of engaging in witch hunts. So be kind to everyone, regardless of what they believe. And you'll show God. Now, what might that look like for you this week? I'm not sure. It might look like what Leslie experienced at the grocery store. She writes, uh, when the Supermarket clerk tallied up my groceries. She said I was $12, it was $12 over what I had on me. So I started to pull out of the bag, you know, a few groceries to get down to the amount I needed. But there was a gentleman behind me and he handed me a $20 bill. And she said, ah, please don't put yourself out. He said, listen, I want to tell you a story. He said, my mom recently found out that she has cancer. She's in the hospital. And so I go and visit her. I visit her every day. And every day when I come, I bring her flowers. But this morning when I went to visit her, she got mad at me. And she said, quit bringing me flowers. Quit wasting all this money on flowers. Go use it some other way. So he said, I'm using it this way. Here's my mom's flowers. Would you do that for someone? Let us not become weary in doing good, Paul writes to the Galatian Christians, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. How might this kind, gracious God be reflected in your life? Maybe it'll be like Marilyn. She wrote, "Um, I forgot the rules about liquids and carry-on luggage when I went to the airport. And so when I hit security, I had to give up all of my painting supplies. She said I was devastated. She said, when I returned on a flight a week later, the attendant was at the baggage area with all of my paints. Not only had he kept them for me, he saw on my ticket when I was going to return, and he came and he showed up and he met me there. Would you go the extra mile for somebody like that? Paul told Titus, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. 
How can we show God's kindness to all people? How can you do that this week? Maybe like uh, a guy named Clarence. He said, leaving a store, I returned to my car only to find that I locked my keys and my cell phone in the car. A teenager was riding a bike, he said, as I said a few colorful words while kicking my tire. And the teenager said, what's wrong? He told him what had happened, and he said, but even if I could call my wife on my cell phone to bring the other car key, we only have one car, she wouldn't be able to get it here. And he said, I'll give you my cell phone, call your wife, tell her I'll be there. He said, you can't ride your bike that far. It's like, it's like seven miles, one way. He said, call your wife. And about an hour later, he had come and brought the key to the car. And Clarence said, I tried to pay him, and he refused. He said, let's just say I needed the exercise. And then he rode off, Clarence writes, like a cowboy in the movies, right off into the sunset. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul wrote Titus. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. God is absolutely kind to every single person. Are are you? (laughs) Will you be that this week? Uh, One of my preaching heroes, a preaching professor named Fred Craddock once gave his preaching students uh, two assignments in class. One was to preach through the entire Bible in one 40-minute sermon. And the second one was to find one verse in the Bible that you think you could preach on every single week for the rest of your life. And the students were flabbergasted, and they said, what, what verse could you do that with? And they asked uh, Dr. Craddock what verse he would do that with, and he said, without hesitation, Luke 6.35b, the second half. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So if you take a walk this week and you see beautiful lawns or pretty flowers or homes that are safe when you do business every day and make sufficient money to feed your family, when a cool breeze comes through on a very hot day, when you enjoy technology, when you benefit from a law, when you are educated from great thinkers in the university, read their books, when you read worldwide news, when you drink filtered water, even if you go to the state fair and eat something you shouldn't eat and don't die. (laughs) Remember, God has given that to us because he's kind. And that's called common grace. It's anything but common. It's kindness. Just ask that old slave trader, that old guy that's cursing up Christians left and right, John Newton. His grace that brought me safe thus far. Will you be that kind of gracious, kind person to other people this week. I'm going to take a few moments of reflection and a prayer practice that we're doing this month together called Visio Divina. It's a a kind of focused prayer where you look at a a picture and reflect on what we've heard and what we see and uh, ask God to speak to us in our lives today. Uh, This practice has its roots in in God's uses of uh, images through through the years, to speak to his people. Think of Elisha, you know, looking to the hills and seeing angelic warriors, and it it spoke to him of God's power and God's being in control. Or Jesus, 
pointing out the lilies of the field as people saw those to remind them not to worry. It's an old accompaniment to prayer. So I'm just going to take a moment um, to pray for God to open our hearts and, and for you to take a look at this picture. We'll, we'll show in just a moment just to rest your eyes on different aspects of it, see if you're drawn to certain parts of it. Maybe it reminds you of a biblical story that you can be thinking about as well. Imagine yourself in the scene, you know? What, is it, what would it be like to, to be there? To, what would you hear and smell and sense? And, and just ask yourself, is there something that God wants uh, to say to me through this image about my life? Does something in it spark a, a thought or a prayer or a confession or an action? So let's pray together and then we'll, we'll try this, walk through it together. Father, thank you for being kind. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but uh, just because you are who you are. You are love, you are joy and peace, you are, you are kindness. Thank you, Father. And even as we soak that up today, Father, I, I pray that we would also be a people who would release that same kindness to others, to the frustrating people around us who don't do what we ask, to our family members who are sometimes less than lovely, to our neighbors who sometimes need grace. Help us to be kind and speak to us now, Father, as we reflect on you in Jesus' name. Amen. So take a look at this image for just a moment, an image of common grace, a God who creates and provides so many things. Maybe for instance, as you look at this, you might be drawn to the sun in the top left-hand corner, kind of peeking through the clouds, and maybe that for you, it reminds you of some of the blessings that God has provided for you this week, maybe some things that you weren't expecting, and you can offer thanks to God in this time of prayer. Or maybe you saw the other side of the sky. You saw thunderclouds. You saw rain. Maybe you're thinking of some of the storms you're going through in your own life. You need God's help. Maybe you're thinking literally of rainstorms that filled your basement with water this week. And you need help. And you can offer prayer for that. Maybe in the larger picture you saw the wildflowers on the hill. And you're reminded how many times God provides things in your life, beauty in your life that you don't even acknowledge, you don't even think about. Maybe you need to confess, God... Thank you for all these things that I don't even pay attention to. Or maybe on this part of the picture, you see the path. And you think to yourself, there's someone that I need to be kind to this week. There's some action I need to take. There's some path I need to walk with Jesus. Take a look at this picture for a few moments and pray and see if God may reveal something to you of his grace.